Today's episode is brought to you by Pat Live. Did you know 76% of customers hang up if they don't reach a live person? And 85% of those customers won't call back after an unanswered call. Missed calls means missed opportunities to successfully grow your business. Pat Live offers 24-7 live answering services so you can spend less time on the phone and more time focusing on your business. You know, finding your frequency listeners, we've got to focus on those businesses. Unlike many other live answering service, they're open 365 days a year. Their friendly and professional agents are all located in the United States and provide all the benefits of a personal receptionist, but at a fraction of the cost. They offer fully customizable scripts and call handling experiences to fit your business needs and fit seamlessly with your brand. Pat Live is more than just an answering service. They offer everything from message taking, call screening and transfers, to lead collection, appointment scheduling, order processing, and more. And now, for a limited time, Pat Live is offering listeners of this podcast Finding Your Frequency 15% off the regularly listed rates. This is only available over the phone, so make sure you give them a call right now at 866-712-1879. Again, that's 866-712-1879. And mention the Finding Your Frequency podcast for more information or visit patlive.com. 15% off the regularly listed rates. Make every call count with Pat Live. 866-712-1879. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. Equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your host, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host, Ryan Treasure, and you're tuned in right here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. First of all, I want to thank everybody for joining into the show and listening on your favorite uh, podcast application, or if you're listening to the show live, we really appreciate you. Uh, Make sure that you like and share this with your friends, and of course, uh, make sure to give us five stars instead of four, because five stars are better than four. Why? why, why? If you're going to give four, give five. Let's do this thing. Uh, we got a great show for you guys today. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, entrepreneurism and and what it means uh, uh, in the space of being an attorney. And we have a great guest that's going to be joining us uh, today as well. Um, Our guest is Alan Friedman. He is uh, the owner of the law offices of Alan Friedman. uh, And he's a highly experienced uh, Connecticut criminal defense attorney defending individuals facing allegations for driving offenses, domestic violence, drug offenses, assault, you know, all of those types of things that would require a defense attorney. Uh, and he's had some great results. So we want to welcome welcome him to the show. Welcome, Alan. Well, it's a real pleasure to be here. And, and, um, nice to meet you. Yeah, well, we appreciate you being on the show today. And uh, I know that as a lawyer, you guys are really busy. You're not, you're not billing me by the hour right now, are you? <laughs> Certainly not. It's my <laughs> pleasure to be here. It's a great opportunity to um, share with your listeners a little bit about what we do in criminal law in Connecticut. So were you wondering how long it was going to be before I had a lawyer joke? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of lawyer jokes. <laughs> I went to, I remember when I went to my first Menza meeting uh, a long time ago and it was consisted of a, a series of lawyer jokes. <laughs> I have a thick skin. That's awesome. Well, you got to have a like thick skin. I kind of like the dentist, right? Um, nobody <laughs> wants to go to the dentist, right? But when you have a toothache, you have to kind of have to go to the dentist. And it's the same thing with a criminal lawyer. You really don't want to visit the criminal lawyer. Um, but when you have a need for a criminal lawyer, you want to go to the criminal lawyer. So we, we're, we're just like a good dentist. A good dentist wants to make that experience as painless and as stress-free as possible and make it a positive experience, even though you really don't want to be there. Yeah, you know, I, I I can I can I can appreciate that, and especially having having a, a thick skin as well. I mean, that's something that I believe is is an important component, especially as a lawyer. I mean, you're out there arguing constantly, so uh, it should it's uh, important to uh, to have some thick skins. Well, um, in 
this business, um, I feel that uh, we need to make sure, especially, let me just share this with you. It's interesting how technology has innovated uh, our business as a whole. Uh, when I started out uh, 28 years ago, the internet was just an infancy. Uh, smartphones didn't exist. And the way we advertised and got business as lawyers was through yellow, yellow page ads. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's no feedback loop through a yellow page ad. It's just a constant succession of new clients coming to you. Whoever had the biggest yellow page ad got the most clients. And today, um, feedback is instantaneous. If a customer doesn't have a positive experience with you, immediately they're going to give you a bad review. And it's, it's interesting how you kicked off the show. Give us five stars instead of four. It's just easy to give us five stars. Well, you know what? In a customer service industry, which is really what we are, we're in a business trying to satisfy a customer and make a customer happy. You know, we want those five-star reviews. We want to satisfy the customer. It's a customer-centric, orientated business. We want to make sure the customer has a positive experience in a terrible situation. The customer is going through a really bad um, uh, experience in their life, and they're facing a possibly you know, one of their worst crises. You're there to help guide them through the process and give them the best possible outcome. But at the same time, you have to give them customer service. And a lot of lawyers, I think, they, they don't understand their true role which is not only to get the legal result, but also to give them the good customer service. So my point being, technology being what it is, it's really transformed our industry with the feedback, with the Google reviews, with the ability for people to communicate with each other so much and have so much information at their fingertips and make a decision on which lawyer to hire. So we really need to perform a lot of roles that we didn't traditionally fulfill. We have to be the counselor to the lawyer, to the client, we have to be available to the client all the time to answer questions, you know, very promptly. Um, you know, with all the methods of communication, um, video conferencing, um, text messaging, emails, all these things that didn't exist when even when I started. And I'm not that old. <laughs> I feel <laughs> like I'm old. But those, those methods of communication didn't even exist. But we need to implement them in our business so that the customer is feeling connected with the process is something that's very important to the client. Look, their case for trespassing or shoplifting may not be, you know, on the docket of the United States Supreme Court, but to that client, it's the most important case to that particular client. And they want to make sure that they know that you're on top of the case and you're going to get them a great result. It doesn't matter if you get that case dismissed ultimately a few months down the road, if you're not keeping that client in the loop and letting them know what's happening with their case and they're feeling that anxiety and that uncertainty, they're not going to be happy with what you did for them. So it's difficult to, in this business, to keep the customer happy who's dealing with a lot of stress and also fight the prosecutor who's working for the state who, who has a opposing objective, right? That the prosecutor is looking to punish this person. So, and then you have the judge. So you're, you're dealing with a lot of different people and you have to, you kind of have to satisfy everybody, and and work to a, a, fa- a favorable outcome, and doing it with keeping everyone happy. Yeah, that's a that's so a, it's, that, it's a that's a, a tough job. It, it's challenging. I mean, that's you know umpteen number of personalities that you as a lawyer are managing from, you know, the prosecutor, the judge, the client, you know, the client's significant other, you know, any of those things, and then you know your own internal uh, staff that you're also working with. I'm sure. Uh, you know, paralegals and those those types as well. Are you having trouble finding hand sanitizer? Well, Spa Treat has you covered. There's no need to go searching high and low. Just visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and place your order on their easy-to-use website. On schedule delivery. One of the great things about this product, Spa Treat Fulfillment Team is working around the clock to provide people hand sanitizer during this time of need and get your order to you as quickly as possible, even faster than Amazon. Spa Treat also has the lowest price of any of its competitors. Spa Treat has 62% alcohol content and the FDA recommends between 60 to 80 for maximum protection. This one has 62 because it doesn't dry your hands out. I use this stuff every single day. It is fantastic. It's got certified organic extracts with the ingredients in that hand sanitizer that are of the highest quality and they're designed to leave your hands smelling and feeling fresh while protecting you at the same time. The best part, there's no tricky residue left over. None. None of that sticky stuff. 
Four scents available, unscented, tea tree, lavender, and lemon. And best of all, this product right here is made in the good old United States of America. A lot of companies are having trouble dealing with the current demands, so Spa Treat has dedicated themselves to providing a much-needed product in the time of crisis. Spa Treat has better prices, faster shipping, and a larger supply than any of their competition. There isn't even a close second. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and enter promo code SPASPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. That's right. Not only are they offering the lowest price available, but they're also offering our listeners a discount. This promo code is exclusive to Voice America, and only our listeners get this discount. SpaTreat and Voice America came together on this sponsorship in order to provide Americans something they could really need right now. Peace of mind. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and order yours today. That's SpaTreatOfficial.com and make sure you use the promo code SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. SpaTreatOfficial.com. Get your awesome hand sanitizer. In the spirit of the show, um, you know, how did you find your frequency? Like where where was that aha moment where you're like, yeah, I'm going to go be a lawyer. I mean, what, 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 what was that for you? Well, I'll share with you. Um, I really don't talk much about this, especially now with my clients, but... When I was a child, I, w- I was kind of misdirected a little bit, all right? And I had this crazy dream at the time when I was about 14 or 15, I had a fantasy that I wanted to become like a, a Awa biker, believe it or not. That's the crazy idea I had in my head. I never wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be an outlaw biker. I watched those shows, you know, and I, and I said, those guys look like they have the best lifestyle, free on a Harley Davidson, driving around, doing whatever they want to do. They don't have to listen to anyone, you know, and, and that's kind of the mentality I was at until I met this police officer when I was 16. And basically, um, you know, my experience with this police officer was he, he put me in handcuffs, took me down to the police station and beat me to a pulp and I'll never forget the you know the transformation um, and what that effect that had on my psyche um, because there was nobody who could step in to help me in that situation and you know to be brutalized in that manner uh, and to go through that and to realize the police have this terrible authority and power over you it kind of got me thinking what you know what can we do to you know, counteract this power, you know, what, what, what is the correct step? You know, how, what can we do to protect people? So at the age of 16, I really didn't have a plan, but I started thinking about this and, you know, as I, you know, matured, went to college and that, that's, you know, really where, where it coalesced into my mind that my future was in fighting for rights of people who are oppressed and, and, you know, I don't believe for a minute that all police are banned. Definitely not the case. But there's a lot of people who are locked up right now who are completely innocent of their crimes. Um, just recently, um, a few months ago, we, we used, um, there's a show on um, um, Netflix. I'm not going to use a profanity on your show. I don't know if we're allowed to do that, but it's called Don't F With Cats. That's the name of the show. And, it, and, you, and the way they did was they used some cyber um, tools to track down a serial killer who had tortured cats. And it's on Netflix. It's a great show. And I watched that show, and I used some of those methods to prove the innocence of my client who was falsely accused of a crime. And begrudgingly, I got the police to you know, cooperate to drop the charges against my client who was completely innocent. And he went through a huge ordeal. And, um, and just looking at how the police said to me, they said, they went on the record on the press, they said, you know what, in 14 years we've been doing this, this is the first time anybody, you know, we've arrested was innocent. <laughs> and I said to myself, you know what, Jeez. that's probably not correct. That's probably not correct. That's the first time in 14 years that the guy's been innocent. It's probably been the most, the rest of the innocent people weren't lucky enough to have found a lawyer who luckily, you know, through coincidence, was able to find the evidence to prove that this person was actually innocent. A lot of people probably took a plea bargain, you know, who were innocent because they said, you know what, I don't want to go to trial and face the risk of taking a trial tax. Yeah, or maybe they didn't have a trial. Money money is a huge factor when when it comes to that, too. I mean, when you think about, you know, okay, um, yeah, I'm innocent. 
Um, but do I have the capital means to be able to pay my lawyer for a trial, right? Because once you start going to trial, I'm sure that, you know, the costs become increasingly more expensive too. And if you have a, uh, you know, a, a monetary issue where you don't have funds readily available to protect yourself in this manner, and you know, you may look at that and go, well, spend money that I don't have uh, and go through a trial with an unknown outcome or take a plea bargain where I know there's an uh, a known outcome and I can forecast the cost of this as well. I mean, I think that's probably plays into it too, right? Well, um, it definitely plays into it for a lot of people. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people came and afford a lawyer in our society. Um, you know, I'm thinking about one guy I'm representing right now who who's quite well off financially, he was charged with something. He's completely innocent. He, he didn't do anything wrong. He's charged with some bogus drug possession charge. And I've, I've proven to the state that his he was in possession of a prescribed medication that his doctor prescribed to him. And I've given this proof to the state. They're continuing to prosecute the case. We're going to have to take you to trial. But so far, I, I've had to retain a... Um, pharmacists to give a certification that the substance was, you know, not a controlled substance. I had to go to the original doctor and get copies of the prescriptions that a compounding pharmacy that made this substance for him to treat his rare medical disorder to say that this substance is not a controlled substance. And, and then now I've had to hire a private investigator to review the police body cam footage to say that the way they interacted with my client was not appropriate. Luckily, my client has the money to do all this, and we're well positioned to defend his rights at trial. Otherwise, he might be forced to take a plea bargain and plead guilty to some minor misdemeanor. But luckily, he has the resources to do it. Um, you know, recently, I was just thinking about our society and of course, we're in the middle of the political season where we have all the debates about what we should do looking forward in our society. And, you know, it, it's somewhat shocking that we're the world's leading jailer in the United States. And we have to ask <laughs> yep. ourselves why. You know, we have uh, the, the most amount of people locked down, um, you know, 750 people per 100,000 locked down in the United States more than Russia or China or any other country. It's, it's amazing, right? We're a prison state. Yeah, well, it's for I think for a long time, you know, there's been a lot of people that were in jail for stupid, silly stuff like possession of a joint. You know, oh, my God, this guy's got a joint. We better lock him away for five years. You know, some of that, some of those policies are, um, thank, thankfully, kind of changing, you know, state to state based off of, like, medical marijuana and stuff. But that, that was one thing that always bugged the heck out of me is, like, you know, I live in Arizona, um, and if you get caught with um, – you know, a seed of marijuana, a stick, a stem or anything. And you're not part of the medical marijuana program that's here in Arizona. Like it's a, it's an automatic felony. It's like insane. Well, there's a lot of, um, with drug laws, right? There's a lot of disproportionate application of the law, depending upon uh, what type of drug. And a lot of that is racially bias like in federal uh sentencing laws until quite recently for instance people who had a small amount of crack cocaine could face a life sentence you know versus someone who had powder cocaine would face a much lower sentence and um certainly you know from state to state from place to place with marijuana the the, the sentences vary dramatically um the enforcement varies dramatically the policeman's attitude when the when the police officer encounters somebody who's in possession of a small amount of drugs will vary greatly depending upon who he encounters, depending upon their race and where they're from. If they're from the community where the police officer is, you know, encountering them, or if they're from a different area, all these factors come into play. So the 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 outcomes are very disproportionate and unfair a lot of times. And the people who are affected a lot of a lot of times are 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 wrongfully affected. You know, and it's reflected upon the um, you know the percentage of people who are incarcerated based upon their race. You know, black black people are four point seven percent of the adult black males are incarcerated right now. 
4.4% of the entire population? 4.7% of black males are incarcerated. That is an insane statistic. Right, versus 0.7% of white males. So uh, I listen. You know what? I don't believe in a, for a minute that my Afro-American brothers and sisters are any more likely to commit crimes than any other uh, any other race. It's yeah, I, I agree. Not something that I believe. No, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. You know, I have I have uh, friends from all types of ethnicities and we, I joke around all the time and, you know, uh, and I say, you know, I don't, I don't hate anybody. I just hate everybody, you know, (laughs) because everybody everybody has tendencies, (laughs) treat everybody the same. (laughs) I agree. But, but, but it's unfortunate. It's a, it's a, a tradition of our society. You know, I was thinking back to my youth when I was a young boy, I grew up in the South and I grew up in the era of the civil rights movement. You know, when when Dr. Martin Luther King was making a big change, and we've made a lot of changes, we've come a long way since those times, right? Things were a lot worse. It was a lot uglier when people were rioting in the streets all over our country, you know, to 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 make a change, you know, to to you know do it away with segregation, to do away, you know, to bring the Civil Rights Act into um, into effect. Tremendous change. But unfortunately, the um, racism, in effect, is still affecting our criminal justice system. And that's something that, for my small part, I like to use whatever resources I can do on a case-by-case basis to overcome. Because unfortunately, as a system, a systemic, systemic bias, it's, it's having a huge impact upon Afro-Americans. One statistic that shocks me, I think about all the time, is is that uh, Afro-American males are 49% of, of them are becoming arrested by the age of 23, which is just a shocking statistic to me. Yeah, I mean, it would, our, be a star- country. it would be a shocking statistic if it was with any, any group, you know what I mean? No, no matter the group it is, if you're, you know, half of your entire you know, race is being arrested by the time they're that age. I mean, that's just a huge problem in and of itself with, you know, racial profiling and all that. I'm, I, and I'm a hundred percent familiar with that. I, I got the opportunity to live in uh, Maricopa County for the entire time that uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio was in office. And I, I'm sure you've heard that name before, but you know, that guy, Oh yes. you know, that guy was yes, the, the epitome of racial profiling. I mean, he would specifically send patrols through uh, Latino based communities and do raids on houses for no reason with no warrants. And, you know, um, you know, had lots of troubles and, you know, thank God he's not the sheriff here anymore. Uh, we got a, we got a new guy um, who's been a lot better and who understands, you know, some of those, those uh, relationships a lot better and is able to, you know, manage his, uh, manage himself a lot better. But I mean, there was, a, there was a time where, you know, Maricopa County was just getting hit with lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. And for me as a taxpayer, I'm like, at what point does this end? Like this money that's being spent to these uh, victims of, uh, of of the crimes that are perpetrated against them by our own police, not only are our tax dollars being paid out to them to patrol our streets, then you guys make bad decisions and, and, and do racial profiling activities. And then now my taxes are now going the other direction and now we're paying lawsuits because of the same thing. And so now I feel like, you know, we're spending all of this extra money uh, f- that could have went to education, you know, knowing that the United States and uh, is, is, you know, one of the lower ranked education. Like if we had, you know, less resources in the pol- going to the police state and all those things, like how much uh, better educated could our kids be? I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know what I was, I was thinking to myself uh, just the other day, I was saying, um, you know, all this talk and the, and the debates about, uh, education, how important education is, how important it is for our society to move forward to compete against China and other nations and the new technologies of the future is that we have an educated workforce. We're spending forty thousand dollars, you know, per prisoner per year on average to incarcerate people. And then when they're incarcerated, you know, it's interesting that that uh, when people get out of jail it's very hard for them to find jobs often. Um, 
you know, first of all, when they're in jail, they're learning. It's basically a, a college of crime. It's like a university of how to be a bad person. You're, you're putting them in a situation where they're, they're learning terrible things, not good things. And when they come out, nobody wants to hire them. We have uh, right now 700,000 people in our society who are people who have been released from prison who can't find jobs in the first year. They've, they've been released from prison because nobody wants to hire them. Well, don't um, so when when people go to prison though don't don't they get the opportunity to further educate themselves while they're there so they can be prepared for going back into regular society? Sure, sure, absolutely. I mean, you, if you if you avail yourself of all the programs that are available in prison, I mean, you can even get a college degree, you can get your GED, you can you can get any kind of education. There's a lot of opportunities that are available, and of course, anybody who's going to be incarcerated it will be a great opportunity uh to take advantage of that but let's just think about this statistic one-third of black men in their 20s in the united states at this time are either on parole probation or in prison right so that that's just like a ridiculous number right so what what is their future what is their future going to be like and how much harder is it for them in that situation being in prison on parole or on probation to hold down a job and and to get an education and get ahead and you know why is it that they're in that situation you know what is where's the bias where's that coming from you know it's it's coming from all different angles you know from the police enforcement to how the system is uh, adjudicating their case to the resources they have to obtain an attorney to the, the sentences that are being handed out by the judges you know all this needs to be changed and, um, you know, it's really it's really being, you know, I think Bernie Sanders is the only one that's really talking about it. And I, don't, I know this is not a show about politics and I, I don't, you know, agree necessarily with any one of the candidates. But it's just a pity that um, more of the candidates aren't talking about our problem with being the number one prison state. And as a criminal defense attorney, I try to do my part every day to try to fight for the rights of my clients to make sure that they're not getting railroaded. Yeah. And it, it just pains me when I see people who, who don't have the opportunity to get a private lawyer. Um, you know, it's funny you talked about uh, entrepreneurship and business. I just wanted to point this interesting thought out. It's just an interesting thought. I'm in a business as a criminal defense attorney. I'm running a business here that basically you can get the product for free. Just think about that. Imagine you're running a restaurant or a supermarket, and there's another competing uh, restaurant or supermarket in town that's giving away the same product for free. And that's basically what's going on. We have a public defender here that's basically giving away the legal representation totally for free. That's a staff of very experienced attorneys that are basically representing people for free. Um, so, you know, why is it that people don't want to use those public defenders? And why is it that those great public defenders who are very qualified and experienced at um, doing criminal law, they've been doing it their whole career, oh. why are they not able to satisfy I, the customer I can and answer deliver the, the good result? I can answer that question. I can answer that question. They're overloaded. They have too many cases and they can't put enough time, effort, and energy into specific cases to uh, to litigate them properly. And so they're forced to stretch too thin with too little resources um, and they don't do as good of job uh, as somebody like yourself. That's my answer. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, we're on the same page. We're on the same page. Another, another aspect of it is, is you know, a public defender. Reality, there's really no incentive for them. They're not an entrepreneur. There's no incentive for them. They, they work nine to five like any other civil servant. You know, if you deal with the DMV, right? You're dealing with the DMV, and you want to get your driver's license. They're not going to stay till seven or eight o'clock at night to help you to get your driver's license. If whatever time their office hours are closed, they're closed, right? Any civil servants, the same story. You know, I work 12 to 14 hours a day every day and on the weekends too. When you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're, you're working long hours to make sure your business runs smoothly and your customers are taken care of, you know? So that, that's the reason why we're able to compete in the business where they're being provided free service. And that's the reason why the free service doesn't uh, work properly because, you know, in order to get a successful result for my client, when I walk into the courtroom, 
I need to know my client's case better than anybody else in that courtroom, better than the prosecutor, better than the judge. I need to know the facts and everything about the client's case you know, more than anyone. And the only way to do that is by putting the time into the case. Yeah, and I mean, you're you're cultivating a relationship with your client and, you know, knowing about the situation, but then knowing them as a person is important too. I mean, I, I would I would imagine that, uh, you know, making sure that you understand their personality type and you understand some of those, you know, key components of why and who they are, you know, will we'll go into, uh, you know, the way that you litigate, right? Because you want that outcome and you've got to, you know, prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this person is in fact innocent. Um, and that burden of proof is on you as 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 the defense. Well, you know, um, so supposedly, according to our uh, system of justice, the burden of proof is is supposed to be on states to prove. Yeah, um, yeah but it, you you know you know that that's not that's not the way it really works. <laughs> no, well, you know, the thing is is um, the way the criminal justice system really works in the United States right now is that. 99.999% of cases never go to trial. So the whole concept of your right to a trial and your right to confront the witnesses and, and um, have the state prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt is just something we watch on TV. For the typical person who's facing a criminal charge, you know, you know, especially a first-time offender, it's going to be a diversionary program of some kind, some type of a, of a, of a program for first-time offenders. In Connecticut, I'm sure every state has its own <laughs> another, uh, just another way for the program. state to take your money. That's all that is. They're very not only are the diversionary programs expensive, but what happens is, as part of our prison state, you know, these diversionary programs set up a whole system of bureaucracies that administrate them and they refer the people out to different agencies that implement the different programs, whether it be a drug education program or an alcohol education program. We even have firearm safety programs. We have all these different diversionary programs. They're all administered by somebody and everybody has a job. It's a whole enterprise. It's an industry. Um, so it's a racket. Yes, the, the version. <laughs> I don't want to call it a racket, but it's, it's, it's definitely. You didn't. Um, I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I just want to say that I think I think if we spent our money on these young people, especially, you know, it seems that disproportionately minority youths are the ones who are are disproportionately the ones who are being swept into our criminal justice system. And, you know, the end product is what we're, what we're putting out is we're putting out people with criminal records. We're going to have a hard time finding a job. We're spending their formative years when they should be being trained for the jobs of the future, learning new technologies and becoming our workforce that's going to help propel us to prosperity. Um, we're basically making them second-class citizens, branded with a criminal record and, and lacking the, the, the skills we need for the next century. Um, what's going to be our future? Yeah, we won't have China, one. <laughs> China's not doing that with their citizens. No. no. They certainly have a very draconian system. They do execute people, and they have very unfair trials. They have a lot of issues, but they don't have anywhere near the amount of people we have locked down. It's just a shame, too. I mean, how much potential, human potential, is you know just sitting in a cell for some silly reason um, you know, I, I wholeheartedly believe, I mean, if you're, if you, if you, you know, assaulted someone because you have anger management problems or you're, you know, doing something in the neighborhood of, you know, uh, like you, you're a murderer or a rapist or whatever, like some of the really heinous type of crimes, like, yes, you deserve to be locked up. But some of these people who are in jail for such, you know, what I feel are, are minor offenses, um, you know, it's ridiculous. And then to have that. Uh, like almost like that black mark, you know, on your on your person, which they call a felony, you know, and having that black mark. And even though you even though you rehabilitated, you went back to school, you got a degree. Um, a lot of people don't look past that, that you have a felony. Right. It's, you know, hiring managers and HR departments are going through resumes and they see these you know, qualified person. And then they have to answer this question of, you know, have you ever been convicted of a crime in the last five years? You know, and you answer that question. And if anybody marks, 
yes. Um, I feel like that the HR manager just automatically discards that human being and their potential for somebody who doesn't have that black mark, even though that person could potentially be more qualified or have more education or in some ex in, in some instances, maybe they had previous experience in that particular area, but not giving somebody a look just because of something they've done in the past that they've been rehabilitated for, they've paid their debt to society is just completely unfair. Yeah, well, it's it's it. The question we have to ask ourselves as a society is is what it, what are we looking to accomplish? So, if we take some, a human being and we lock them up for a crime, and then they come out of jail after they've been associating with some some pretty hardened criminals in that jail, and they come out after listening to all that negativity and toxicity for that period of time, and they come out and they they try to do the right thing and they try to apply for jobs and they get keep getting that door closed in their face over and over again. Rejection, 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 rejection. Now, what's the outcome going to be if the person can't get a job, if nobody wants to hire them? You know, I, I think that we're basically, you know, training these people and, and, and encouraging them to turn to crime. Well, that's yeah. No I, that's that's why the recidivism rate is so high. I mean, you know, people who go to jail generally end up going back to jail. Um, I don't, I'm sure you would have the uh, more statistics on that than, than I do, but you know, that's anything I read about, you know, people that are coming out of, uh, out of prisons or jails and those types of populations, like 80% of them end up right back where they came from. Well, it's definitely a problem because, um, the reality of, of, of what I'm seeing with, with the prisoning population is, is that a lot of the people that are headed to prison interestingly have one of two characteristics right which prison isn't really adapted to solve okay now look like this as you said there are definitely situations right if you have a person who commits a violent assault on somebody um or, or rape somebody or does some type of violent crime absolutely we need to have you know prison sense serves a lot of functions first of all it it has some form of punishing make, you know, to the person who committed the crime, but also serves as a deterrent, you know, effect to let other people know, hey, this is this is not the way we operate as a society. We don't want to send the message that you can go out and do these types of crimes and get away with it. So we need that deterrent effect. But let me ask you this question. If you have somebody who's mentally ill, for example, who, who doesn't know the difference between right or wrong, who's suffering from schizophrenia, and, and they commit some type of crime when they're in that type of condition, right? What type of deterrent effect is is, is the possibility of them doing a jail sentence going to have on them when they're when they're in in a in a state of mental insanity? Because they don't even know that they don't even know what planet they're on. It just makes it worse. So so you take that person, like for instance, right now I'm I'm defending a, a youth. Um, his case has been highly publicized in the area. He was 18 years old. He was, he was walking down a street with a raccoon under his arm and um, some skivvies, and he decided to stop in the, in the middle of one of our most uh, luxurious towns, a very high-end high town, and, and take a dump right on the sidewalk. So somebody observed this and said, you know, this is kind of strange, a, a young man walking in this affluent uh, town full of billionaires and millionaires and just taking a dump right in the middle of the sidewalk with a ra dead raccoon under his arm. Let's call the police, right? So when the policeman responded, um, this little wiry youth, um, you know, I guess the policeman wasn't careful enough and wasn't watching out. He, he punched the policeman in the face and, and broke the policeman's jaw and his nose, you know, it's caused a serious injury. I mean, listen, nobody wants to see a policeman get hurt, right? Nobody wants to see that. And I'm not blaming the policeman at all. But this kid, at the time that he committed this offense, was suffering from severe mental disorder he was suffering from such severe mental disorder that at the time that i took on the case he needed to go to a psychiatric facility for months to be restored to competency to stand trial because they found him to be extremely mentally disturbed he was so mentally disturbed he didn't even know if i was a lawyer or if i was a martian so you know at this point the state is trying to offer him a, a period of incarceration to an 18-year-old who's never committed any crime because he 
punch the police officer why he was suffering from schizophrenia and even know what planet he was on. It's a true story. That's insane. I mean, I mean, we're going to take people. I mean, I remember, you know, I remember back in the day. I don't know if you remember this. There was a huge scandal here in New York State about uh, Bellevue Medical Hospital. You know, they were treating mentally ill people extremely poorly. As a result of that, there was a huge backlash all over the United States, right, in the 70s to take people that were those, you know, people were mentally disturbed and let them out in the community because previously we were locking them up in a jail-like setting. We weren't treating them properly and we weren't allowing them to be in the community, right, which was very unfair. It was very, very unfair because because those people who are suffering from those disabilities can be treated with medication, right, and they can, they can exist in our society. They can function. Somebody like that needs treatment with doctors and medication, and they can, they can exist just fine. But in the 70s, we were locking them in, in psychiatric hospitals and throwing the key away and just locking them away, and, and they were in very horrendous conditions, they were, it was very inhumane, and there was a lot of, you know, public outcry with this, so we changed the whole system. Now the system has changed to where if someone has a mental disorder and commits a crime, they'll throw them in jail. So you have somebody who has a mental illness, who's in a prison system, not getting any treatment for their mental condition, in with a bunch of inmates who may be abusing them and doing horrible things to them, and coming out even more mentally ill than they were when they came in. So if you ask yourself about recidivism rate, you know, how could the recidivism rate be better for somebody like that? Their mental illness is only going to get worse when they come out of jail. It's not going to get better. They didn't get any treatment while they were there. So yeah, it's a good point. I think it's going to be a revolving door. Yeah, that's a good point. And then you add on, uh, you know, uh, privately ran prison facilities that, um, are, are, are in it for, you know, the dollar. They're not being ran by the state. They're, you know, being ran by, uh, you know, other, other entities that are like basically for profit prisons, which drives me nuts. Um, and, and well, that, that's a, that's a big problem we have going on right now is that the privately run prisons are, you know, it, we're realizing that the privately run prisons are extremely dangerous, places there's extremely high murder rates in the in the facilities there's extremely high rates of of the um people who are working there committing violent acts against the inmates the the conditions are extremely unsafe it's it's very bad and um unfortunately you know like anything else in our society the lobbyists are extremely powerful in our state legislatures and what the the people who are behind these private prison systems have tremendous resources. They lobby, you know, to create these private prison systems and they, and they get created. And listen, the average person who, who's just living their regular life is just thinking in the back of their mind, you know what? Crime is bad. Criminals are bad. You know, this is something I don't want to deal with. I don't want I don't want to see it. I don't want criminals around me. I want to be protected. And I just want these people locked up. They don't care what happens to them. But the problem with these, with the you know average citizen, they don't believe or even think for a minute that it, the next week it could be them who's or their loved one who's actually the next person who's accused of committing some crime they didn't do. Then how are they going to think about the private prison system if they're accused of some crime? You know that they they you know. The policeman is saying, hey, you, you committed this crime. You committed domestic violence. There was an argument with your wife, and now you're facing a year in jail. Or you were driving down the street, and you had an accident. You think it was just a negligent accident, but they're saying that it was a negligent homicide. You you killed somebody, and they want you to do time in jail. And now all of a sudden, you got to do time in a, in a private prison. Maybe your attitude is going to change about that private prison now. Now, now it wasn't a place you were thinking, wow, it's a great place to put prisoners because yeah. now you're going to be the prisoner. Well, and that's part of the problem. I mean, it's a whole like out of sight, out of mind thing. And if you're not, you know, having people that are advocating for change and different things that are 
uh, audible, you know, uh, what, what's the term my mom used to use? Only the squeaky wheel gets oiled. You know, if we had more squeaky wheels out there and people that were, you know, bringing this information to light. So that way you couldn't run away from it. You couldn't hide from it. You couldn't have that idea of out of sight, out of mind. Um, you know, then, then maybe we could start to have some real change, but as long as people can put that stuff in the back of their mind and say to themselves, Oh, you know what? They're in prison. They're in their deal. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect my day to day. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to move on. Um, we'll never be able to impact change until more people start to recognize the problem and start to come together and uh, and bring conversations and solutions to the table for some of those issues. You know, you were, you were mentioning you know China earlier on in in the, in there in the, in our discussion, and then also you know saying hey these prisons are you know a deterrent. Well, if China has less people that are in prison, but they're also executing people or they're doing other uh, other other things, you know, maybe that that has some merit. You know, I don't know what the answer is, uh, but if I know that if I commit uh, rape on a 12 year old girl, I'm not going to go to jail. Someone's going to shoot me in the forehead. You know, maybe the. Uh, maybe the 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 action for somebody doing what they did or the consequence for their action, if those were much more harsh, maybe there would be less prison sentences. You know what i i can't I can't really think about that. Um, for me, the big problem I see as being a criminal defense attorney is every week, you know, just about every week in our society, we see people who were wrongfully accused of crimes being exonerated through DNA evidence and through also innocence projects and prosecutions. Um, a lot of uh, prosecutors in different states, you know, look at old cases for prosecutorial mis and police misconduct. And every day, if, if you follow the news every day, there's somebody who's being released that served, you know, 30 years or 20 years. And they, they found DNA, DNA evidence that it, this person possibly could not have been the person who committed the crime and they let them go. And they say, hey, we're sorry you just wasted the last 30 years of your life in jail. You know what? And a lot of these convictions come uh, about because of police misconduct. The police, you know, unfortunately, we have an adversarial system in, in our, in our um, jurisprudence in the United States where, you know, we have a prosecutor and we have a defense lawyer. And the police, are their, their true role is to really be an investigator of the truth to try to find out what really happened, right? But the reality is when they're investigating a crime, very often they make a conclusion in their mind as to who they think the suspect is, and then they feel um, they're going to prove the case, you know, that this is the person who committed the crime, and they stop having an open mind as an investigator of the truth, and they act as an agent to, to frame or pin, you know, a case on this particular person they've decided is the is the suspect is the guy is their guy you know a lot of times they'll use coercive interrogation tactics to get someone to confess to a crime they didn't even do there's hundreds of examples of that police one of the things that really shocks me every day is this fact is the policemen can lie to you they can get you locked up in a police station get you to you know, trickily get you to waive your rights. You know, you have your Miranda rights. They'll say, hey, you know what? We'll go easy on you if you if you talk to us. You know, and if you're in handcuffs, you're in a police station, you might say, hey, that's, that's a good idea. You know, I'll waive my right to a lawyer. I'll waive my right to remain silent. I'll talk to you because, hey, I would like you to go easy on me. You know, and then the policeman will come in and tell you, hey, you know what? Your, your friends have already uh, basically implicated you in this crime. We have all the evidence we need. You might as well start talking because otherwise you're going to be doing a lot of time in jail. It, it may be all lies the policeman's telling you, and that's a, a legitimate, legally authorized method of interrogation the police are allowed to use. Meanwhile, if you lie to the police officer, you can be charged with making a false statement to police or interfering with police and charged with a crime. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really not a it, level playing field. No, not at all. We got to stop for just a second and talk about an awesome product. And when I say awesome product, I mean awesome because I just used it. I used it yesterday. I used it every other day. I'm bald and I know having a good set of razor blades 
is amazing. And now is not the time to overpay for razors at the drugstore. Harry knows sometimes it's better to stay inside. That's why they ship directly to you so you can experience the quality of a Harry shave in just a few days from the convenience of your own home. What I really love about it are their shave gels, the low prices. It's just amazing. Join the 10 million people who have tried Harry's and claim your special trial offer by going to harrys.com forward slash frequency. That's harrys.com forward slash frequency. And why Harry's, you ask? Because it's awesome. I'm a bald guy, like I said before, and I know razors. And I know this product. It's fantastic. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just two bucks a blade. That's right, two bucks. They've cut out middlemen. They have a great German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century. That means you get a high-quality blade at factory direct prices. You can feel good about your purchase, 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know. They'll give you a refund. And 1% of the proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide access to better health care for men and veterans. You guys know Finding a Frequency. We love to support the veterans. Exclusive offer for listeners of Finding Your Frequency. Listeners of this show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com forward slash frequency. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to help keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razors dry and easy to grab on the go when it's time to do it. Go to harrys.com forward slash frequency and start shaving better today. You know, that's funny. I I follow these lawyers that are in California and they um, come out with these funny videos that are, they come out on Friday and they basically call it shut the F up Friday. (laughs) Um, I've seen those guys too. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's a whole lot of truth in what they, in what they say, you know, you, you know, you get arrested and someone says that you did something wrong. You know, uh, I think those guys are, uh, they, they do uh, uh, the same thing that you do for people who are mis uh, uh, charged for like medical marijuana and marijuana uh, uh, charges. And so, but I mean, it goes for just about any kind of any scenario that if if you're going to get charged with a crime and the police uh, are able to lie to you blatantly to try to get you to talk, your best defense is to just not say anything until you have your lawyer. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Any of your listeners out there right now, um, the, the constitution gave us, you know, the founding fathers realized what a police state really is and how terrifying it is. And that's why they gave us, you know, the Fifth Amendment right to remain silent, the Fourth Amendment protection against unreasonable search and seizures, you know, back in England or wherever they came from. You know, the government had the right to just invade your house and search for whatever they want. You know, over here we have these rights, but unfortunately, you know, all too often, People just don't know what their rights are. Somebody, the policeman will come to their house, you know, or, or, you know, (laughs) to say, hey, you know what, uh, do you mind if we search your house? And the person says, okay, you know, come on in and search my house. And they find, you know, drugs or, 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 or whatever evidence they're looking for. You know, why would you let them come into your house? But unfortunately, people just don't know their rights. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. I do a lot of DUI uh, cases, um, so many of them, um, <laughs> hundreds of them. And every single time these cops, right, they say when they come up to the car, every single one of them, they say the strong odor of alcohol when they come up to the window, when they're talking to somebody, they never say, you know what, I detected an odor of alcohol or I detected some odor of alcohol or I detected a slight odor of alcohol or I detected a moderate odor of alcohol. Every single police report I've ever read on a DUI investigation says I detected a strong odor of alcohol. And then the next question they ask you is they say to the person is, have you been drinking? And every single person thinks, you know what, Um, I'm going to tell them, yeah, I was drinking, but I only had like two beers or whatever. Bingo, you just gave an element of the crime because you just admitted that, yes, you've been drinking. Better to say, you know what, I'm not answering any of your questions. Or alternatively, if you want to be super polite, say, you know what, I would love to answer your questions, but I just prefer to have a lawyer present. So if you don't mind giving me the opportunity to call some lawyers to come down here or get a lawyer for me, you know, you don't have a right to have a lawyer present for roadside questioning, but you don't have to answer any questions. So um, just don't answer it. So yeah. many people in my career, they've, they've, the policeman had no case against them, never would have been able to prove anything. And the only way the police can make a case 
is by getting the person to talk. And one of the classic ways the police do that is they'll call you up on the phone and they'll say, listen, we're calling you up about this, this, or this, and we would just like to get your side of the story. We'd just like to hear your side of the story. And everyone is like, well, hey, I want to go out and give my side of the story and, clear, and, and explain to them I'm not guilty. Meanwhile, the police probably don't have enough elements of the crime. You know, they don't have enough proof. And, and by going down there and giving your side of the story, you're just checking off the boxes of the elements of the crime, you know. And, and it, just, it, just, it makes me sad that more people don't know their rights. But as much as I can with my – I have a small YouTube channel. I don't have a YouTube channel like your, the, the guys you referenced. I love their YouTube channel. It's fantastic. I have a small one. But I, everywhere I go, every time I speak to anybody, I always put out the message, yeah. you know, know your constitutional rights and use them. Yeah, well, that's like all these videos, you know, um, and, and I, you know, I, I am all for our ability to freely move about the the state, the country, the whatever, you know, and I, I live in Arizona, right? And so what drives me absolutely nuts is that you'll have border patrol agents set up 50 miles away from the border doing border patrol checkpoints for no reason in the middle of a highway, right? For people that are driving laterally through the state and they hadn't even, like the highway doesn't even go to the border, right? It, it goes, it goes, you know, east, west, not north, south. So, you know, and then randomly pulling people over at these checkpoints, asking them if they're United States citizens and why are they driving this road? And, you know, and I feel the same way too about like the, you know, DUI checkpoints where they're basically just, you know, trying to fabricate anything and everything they can to, you know, get people's money. Um, It just drives me nuts. And so many times I just love the videos when people get pulled over uh, in the DUI checkpoints and they have their ID and their driver's license in a bag and they crack the window about one inch and hang the bag out the window and then roll the window up and they don't say a word. I love it. Well, I, <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I, 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 um, I have to tell you that um, I've watched the um, so-called sovereign citizen or AKA traveler videos, you know, that whole concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say that, that unfortunately the vast majority of those individuals you know, they're, although, you know, the, the, the guys who do those videos, you know, will, it's a very entertaining concept and they're going to get their videos monetized and some of them, they do it as a hobby. Um, and you know, it's actually a stream of revenue for them. Okay. So they go out, they go into the guys who are smart about it. They'll, what they'll do is they won't be doing any illegal or possibly illegal, like driving on the influence. Right. And they'll go into like a public area, like, um, you know, uh, a, a town hall or into a police station or a school or wherever they, they, they feel like they have a right to be. And in start filming. Area. And they'll be reporting <laughs> and they'll get the policeman to respond. Right. And then when the policeman responds, they'll start talking trash to the policeman. And then the policeman, there's really nothing they can do because they're, they're authorized to film in public. They can do whatever they want. And it makes for an entertaining video with the showdown with the policeman and the policeman's like, well, who are you? Will you identify yourself? But these guys who drive, okay, let me just say this. I don't condone um, driving under the influence whatsoever. It's very dangerous. I just, I just had a, a client of mine, you know, who was tragically involved in an accident while driving the influence and somebody was injured. It, it's really bad. And, and, you know, nobody wants to have their loved ones injured. What I'm talking about is, keeping the playing field level so that our constitutional rights are protected and that the policemen are respecting your constitutional rights. And I believe that if, if the constitutional rights are respected, everyone's going to get a fair shake in the justice system. But what you're talking about is the sovereign citizen. Okay. Who is, is let's say, you know, has no driver's license or has their driver's license suspended or is drunk driving. And then, you know, refusing to answer the policeman's questions when they're operating a motor vehicle and just passing a piece of paper that says, listen, I'm not driving a motor vehicle. I'm, I'm traveling. You know, I'm not actually driving. Um, you don't have the right to, to have my driver's license because I'm traveling. Um, you know, I can't speak for every state because I'm licensed in Connecticut, New York, but I can just tell you that in Connecticut, that approach is going to be met very poorly in Connecticut. 
you're yeah, going to I, wind up being charged with the crime of interfering with police. Right. And if you if you don't come out of the vehicle, they're going to break your window, like I've seen in some of those videos. I saw one, which I don't know if you did. You see this one particular video? Yeah. Where and and, and real quick, anal. real quick, Alan, my my point on this wasn't necessarily the whole traveler videos, but more, you know, um, in the state that I live in, I live I live in a border state, and these guys set up border patrol checkpoints fifty miles away from the border and make you stop in the middle of the highway to prove that you're a United States citizen. Well, it, it, I'm going to say this. Um, Unfortunately, the the enforcement of protecting you know our national boundaries right is conflicting with our liberties for um, um, existing in our society. That's a good point. So it, it, there, there there has to be some. Um, Thomas Hobbes said life in the state of nature is nasty, brutish, and short. So he, he concluded that we enter into political society, you know, some form of government where we agree to live under the laws so that we have protection against others. I see your point. I agree wholeheartedly. It's, 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 it's an intrusion upon our liberty. We have to identify ourselves, so we have to be detained or stopped. You know, but I'll point out, I've, I've traveled extensively in other nations in Central America, Mexico, um, South America, extensively driven cars and traveled. Every one of those nations, if you don't have your passport and your visa within a day, you will come across what they call a control with a cone in the middle of the road. Every single person. And you know why they have those controls? They have those controls because they don't pay their police officers enough. And those controls are a money-making operation for the police officer. They stop every car and they make sure everyone has all their paperwork in order. Not only their, their immigration documents, but their registration, their driver's license, and everything else. So in, in our society, the policeman needs to have some probable cause to pull you over ordinarily, right? So in those countries, they don't because they're corrupt. So they just pull over everybody <laughs> that comes down the road. And they check your documents. Well, and that's and that's what they, they don't do. At have, these, and that's what they do at these border uh, checkpoints in Arizona. They they literally make every single car stop, right? Whether you're doing anything wrong, right, indifferent, whatever. It's like, hey, we're stopping every car and we're checking to make sure that you're supposed to be here. And it's like, what? what why are you even pulling me over? What did I do wrong? You know, not to mention well, I'm, I'm is, 50 it's, miles it's, away from the border. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is 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 in that situation. Is, is we have to ask ourselves, and the question is, is a balancing question, right? That's why I was talking about Thomas Hobbes, is this kind of a balancing question is, is if, if you're a citizen, right, what, um, you know, are, are you willing to give up your liberty to not be stopped and detained anywhere, even for a minute, to be um, totally free to go wherever you want, and then, but at the same time, the the people who are protecting our borders are, are, are very restricted and limited in the ability to apprehend people who are coming across our borders. So that's kind of like the, I don't really take a position either way on either point. Yeah, no, and I don't, I don't necessarily take like, one either. I like just... a competing, it's a competing, it's a competing value. See, so, so yeah. basically they're, they're setting up their checkpoint probably a little too far. When you go into Mexico, they have their checkpoint set about 12 miles from the border. If you want to go into the interior of Mexico, so mm -hmm. when you're driving into Mexico, you drive, and then 12 miles later, they have a more intensive checkpoint where they check you out more thoroughly if you want to go beyond the, 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 the border region, right? Yep. It's 12 miles. 50 miles from the border is a little far into the country, I'd say. I mean, I, I kind of think it's, <laughs> it's invading a little bit, and it also, depending upon which road you're on, right? If you're going on a road that's going east-west, you know, maybe that's that's not really your most heavily trafficked migrant route you, you expect to go on a north-south route right but yeah. at the end at the end of the day you know it's like this think about this other thing too um this whole stop and frisk thing it's very controversial right they did that in new york city bloomberg that's probably one of the reasons why he's not going to be president he dropped out today he, he dropped right? out today yeah so so that was that was probably number one reason because people people in the in the minority community were so outraged with stop and frisk because they were so annoyed that they'd be walking down the street and just because they're black and they're living in the ghetto, they're going to be stopped and frisked, right? Meanwhile, if you're some white guy in Wall Street, 
you're not going to get stop and frisked, right? So, Good but point. the problem was at the time that he implemented stop and frisk, if you were living in the in the impoverished area of New York City, like in the South Bronx, the death rate was like ridiculous. It was off the chart. It was people were killing each other right and left. It was like you know, I think it was like 600 homicides a year. So when they did, when they stopped, when they started to stop and frisk, the homicide rate went down dramatically. So, you know, you have to really, when you're, I don't really make a, a judgment call on it one way or the other, but at, at the same time, you really have to ask yourself the question is, is do you want the liberty of being able to walk down the street without a policeman coming up and stopping and frisking you for a weapon? Or do you want, um, to have the problem of people walking around the street with guns because when they started doing the top stop and frisk, then the people who had guns didn't carry them around with them anymore because they didn't want them to get, they didn't want to get caught with a gun. So they left the gun at home. So the, the homicide rate went down. So it's a problem, right? Yeah. Guns. And by but, the way, like you guns, say, it's a balancing guns, act. It sure is. And yeah. guns and gun violence is, a, is another huge problem in our society. And, and, and let's face the reality. Listen, I don't like to get too political, but the reality is the gun violence that's occurring in our society is not the law-abiding gun owner you know, who has a pistol permit or lawfully owns a sporting arm. Those are not the people who are committing the gun violence or most of the, of the gun problem in our society, right? The people who yeah. are committing the gun violence are people who are criminals who are coming into possession of guns. So, you know, how do we counteract the, the huge problem of gun violence, right, in cities like Detroit um, and other inner city uh, areas, Chicago, right, where we have basically like a war going on every day with, with casualties, with, with deaths. Yeah people who are losing their loved ones right who are yeah. completely innocent. you, you make a good point there's there there's definitely something that needs to be done in that space and uh you know looking at the time here uh i think maybe we'll have to have a follow-up interview with you on so we can talk a little bit more about some of these you know issues that are plaguing us as uh, as, as americans and how we can you know come together and and have some common ground and try to come up with some policies that are uh working for everybody because you know the beto o'rourke way of saying i'm just going to take everybody's guns uh you know probably isn't the best way and we can talk more about that when we have you back thank you for being on now alan friedman attorney at law check out his website alan f uh and of course you can always uh, shoot him an email from his website and go check out what they do alan thank you for joining us today it was a great pleasure. I enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, very much so. I appreciate it very much. You guys are tuned in to Finding Your Frequency right here on Voice America Talk Radio. Please make sure you come back every week, check out our episodes, and we'll talk to you guys next time right here on Finding Your Frequency.